This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 237 Roof Studios in Upper Lafayette, this is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live on 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. Take a walk on the wild side and get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world-famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 103.7 The Game. And welcome, everyone, to the Must Listen To Saturday Morning Sports Talk Show in all of Acadiana. And, of course, we're talking about Under the Dome with yours truly... Yo, it's me. It's me. The world famous CD. And we're coming to you live, as always, from the 237 Roof Studios, presented by the good folks at Lafayette Roofing, from the roof to the roots of Acadiana. They have got you covered. Just call 237-ROOF, 237-7663. And hey, if you want to call us up, the game hotline, it's open for a little bit here in this opening segment. We've got a lot of great guests coming up in the show today. We, we're rolling three deep today. That's how I like to do things. But I want to start things off talking, obviously, about what's causing all this. And that is LSU Clemson. It is mere hours away. I'd say probably somewhere around the 75, 76-hour mark because you'll have the kickoff at 7 o'clock, which you'll hear right here on 103.7 The Game. But I saw this pop up just moments ago, and I want to kind of bring that to the table real quick, trying to get that sound bite up. But I saw this pop up like mere moments before we went on air. Thankfully, I have enough time to where I can actually drop this stuff in and make sure it's in the system for the show. But, you know, sometimes you just kind of miss some things. Things fall through the cracks, if you will. But we're going to get this in here for you. And it's about the opposing head coach, Dabo Swinney, the former Alabama receivers and tight ends coach that turned into the head coach and eventual national champion, the man that's been able to knock off Nick Saban off his perch in the national title game, the biggest game on the biggest stage. But according to Tremaine H.M., he was on the four-letter network just a little while ago, and thankfully they put up the video, and it's absolutely outstanding. Dabo Swinney apparently is treating this a lot like maybe Rocky did when he was preparing to face Ivan Drago. <laughs> Coach Sweeney loves to compare us uh, to Rocky movies. I guess he's just the biggest Rocky fan. Uh, he's just, he says going to Louisiana is like going to Russia, and we're playing Drago. And then he'll and then he'll say something about Drago's like Burrow, uh, right? And we got to be Rocky. We got to train in Russia. We got to fight in Russia. And I'm like, all right, well, just go with it. We're in just roll with it, right? Like, yeah. And I'm really wanting to have the image in my head now of Basically, Dabo Swinney walking around, like doing a run, a la Rocky Four. Whenever Rocky's kind of just running around in the snow, and then all of a sudden you have him just running down Bourbon Street. Then he gets down to Jackson Square and just yells, "Go, Joe!" Just starts yelling that, just like he yelled Drago. That's that's exactly where where my thought process is on a Saturday afternoon. How do we, how can you not love? That kind of stuff. But now I'm going to get to what's causing all this. Without a doubt, we need to talk about the LSU-Clemson game. 
And here's a list of some of the big keys that I have, not just for LSU, but for Clemson as well, at least from my point of view. And if you have you disagree with me or you agree with me, whatever it is, hit me up on the game hotline, 337-706-0111. we got a few minutes before our first guest joins the program, give you an idea who that is in a little bit. But, of course, the biggest key for me is the defense needs to stifle Travis Etienne. Etienne, he didn't have the best game in the semifinal against Ohio State. Ten rushes, 36 yards, and one touchdown. But here's the thing, he looked really good in part of that passing game. 98 yards, two touchdowns, off of three receptions. That's pretty darn good, and that could be some really solid fantasy numbers if he when he goes to the pros after the season's done. But my big thing is you throw all of this Jennings native in his hometown, I think they have every chance to handcuff Clemson's offense. This isn't a dig at Trevor Lawrence's skills saying that, handcuffing the Clemson offense to be largely passed because they know the run game ain't working. But to me, and I think to a lot of people, a one-dimensional offense is a hell of a lot easier to stop than a two-dimensional offense. The other big key for me, LSU, is Clyde Edwards-Alaire needs to eat. Why am I saying this? Because according to head coach Ed Ogeron, he is cutting. And I say if he's cutting, you might as well treat him like his name is Brutus the Barber Beefcake and let him cut and strut and get things done. He's the big X factor in this matchup. Is he 100% healthy? I think he's probably 99.9% healthy. I think it's to be good enough to help this team get things done. And he's going to be healthy, ready to go. And that's going to take this LSU run game to another level to where it's not necessarily all on the back of Joe Burrow, like maybe we saw in the Oklahoma game. But then again, Oklahoma's defense was absolute trash, and they exposed the hell out of that. But one other big key is, without a doubt, Michael Divinity officially being back on the defensive side of the football. This is the biggest X factor of them all. Linebacker stifled by injuries and left the program before the Alabama game for, for personal reasons. You all know the story. I expect him to have a big game here. He needs to make up for lost time and, more importantly, improve that draft stock. That's the big keys for me. Defense needs to stifle Travis Etienne. Clyde Edwards-Alaire needs to eat. And Michael Divinity being back is a huge thing for this defense. I think those are the three big keys. I expect all three of those to cash in. I'll give you my score during the 11 o'clock hour. After I spent a half hour with Ross Jackson, I got to have him on the show to talk about what's going on with the Saints, the end of the season, and what who stays and who goes when it comes right down to it. But we'll get we'll get to that later. But I'll be giving it to you around eleven thirty, and also Coach Fo is going to be here as well. But the Clemson keys, the keys to that game, to their game, and the key to victory for them, I think without a doubt, it's got to be Isaiah Simmons keying in on Burrow. Burrow isn't afraid of getting hit, but it's not often. You know, you just look at the stats. He's got like he's allowed. They've allowed thirty something sacks, but I think if he gets hit and gets things done, Isaiah Simmons is going to be a guy to look after because that guy's a safety linebacker, seven sacks in his junior season, and that stout offensive line has looked really good. And with a lot of guys back, like Ed Ingram, I, there's so many guys that we can kind of just start listing off that are going to be back in that lineup. Look out. And then a key matchup I think we got to talk about is T. Higgins, Derek Stingley Jr. Is that going to be the main event that everybody's going to look at? Higgins, a 1,000-yard receiver for the Clemson Tigers, leads the entire program. Stingley will likely be against the best wideout for Clemson because it's kind of how you want to do things. You want to be best against best, and this is where you want to be if you're LSU. 
And then is Trevor Lawrence still angry is another big thing for me is because Lawrence, a lot like Burrow during last year's game against UCF, I observed it, I'm sure a lot of you observed it, went off after taking a huge hit versus Ohio State that seemingly took him out of the ball game. And to me, they piss off sunshine. It can be a very, very long night for the Bayou Bengals. That's kind of my big keys for both teams. But I'm going to get more of a perspective in the next segment because I'm going to get on Will Vandervoort of the Clemson Insider. He'll be joining the program in just a few minutes. But, of course, it's college basketball season. The Saints are done. Why not get our guy back on the program? I'm over the moon excited about the fact that we're bringing back Greg Peterson, college basketball guru, hoophead, and damn near bracketologist extraordinaire. We're having him back on the program for the first time in a long time to kind of give us a look at what's been going on in the world of college basketball while we've been focusing in on the world of college football. We're going to go ahead and take a quick timeout. Be back with more after this. You're listening to Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game. From the preps. I gave it a, uh, a 10. A 10. To the pros. And everywhere in between. Let's get back under the dome with the world-famous CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game, 1037thegame.com. A little tribute to the late, great Neil Peart, who passed away on Friday, the great drummer of Rush. For you coming into that segment, how can I, I'm going to not pay tribute to just a great man and a great artist in general. But now we're going to flip things over and get on over to the Arco Equipment Hotline to continue the conversation we're having right here right now about the LSU-Clemson game. It is an absolutely huge ball game. And we're going to talk to a, talk to somebody right now behind enemy lines, and that is Will Vandervoort. Right now, he's on the the 103.7 Game Hotline. He's a writer for Clemson Insider and co-author of the book Clemson: Where the Tigers Play. Will, what's going on, man? Hey, man, what's going on, man? Thanks for having me. I appreciate you joining the program. I think we need to kind of first things first, just look at what will Clemson have to key in on on Monday night's matchup on the offensive side of the football, because I think without a doubt, so many weapons that LSU has from, obviously, Joe Burrow, the man throwing the football. You've got Clyde Edwards-Alaire, Thaddeus Smalls. The list can go on and on and on. But who are they going to have to really key on, key in on to stifle a Tigers offense that feels like it's almost impossible to stop? All right, so, yeah, I mean, as you mentioned, the LSU's loaded with weapons. And, uh, you know, I think you really can't – I mean, you know, they got their five deep. They can go five wide and – I think Moss is one of the best tight ends I've seen. I think, you know, he's going to be a matchup problem for Clemson only because they're going to have, you know, if they – Isaiah Simmons is a guy who can contain him if you're just saying, okay, that's all you really got to worry about. But because Isaiah Simmons is going to have to worry about so many other things because of what LSU has, that's going to be a matchup problem for Clemson. So if I had to say, so where's an area that Clemson can concentrate on them, I think is LSU's offensive line. I think that's their weakness on their offense. Um, I know they won the Joe Moore Award and all that stuff, but I really don't understand how <laughs> because Burrow is, was sacked 30 times this year, which ranks 95th in the country um, in, in sacks allowed. And, you know, also, you know, they, they, they're not a very physical running football team, you know, uh, allowing uh, just, what, 4.6 yards per carry. So 
when I've watched tape and all, you've seen areas where if it wasn't for Joe Burrow being the kind of athlete he is and the way he can elude pressure, there probably would be, man, they may have 60, given us 60 sacks this year uh, because he's so good at escaping pressure. Um, I think Clemson's going to try to exploit that and get pressure on Burrow because you have to get in his face. You can't let him sit back there and pick you apart. Um, and I think Venables will try to bring some different blitz packages. They're not just going to – I mean, they're going to come – Clemson's going to do what they do, and what Brent Venables likes to do is bring pressure. And he's not going to not do that. He's going he's to be who he is, and, um, and he's going to take his chances and hope they can get there and get in his face and disrupt things and maybe confuse him as they did, did two attack at the last year in the championship game, as they did uh, Justin Fields in the Fiesta Bowl. And flipping on over to the offensive side of the football, I think without a doubt we need to talk about Trevor Lawrence. And the parallel that I had for comparing him to Joe Burrow all week was the Ohio State game and how much he had like a lot of toughness in that ball game, especially after that big hit. It reminded me of what happened with when Joe Burrow played UCF last year in the Fiesta Bowl, and he, we saw him get hit super hard. I was surprised they didn't call targeting, but he turned that game on its head. In your mind, based on what you saw, did you see the same thing? Yeah, I mean, for Trevor, it was, I think it really, as he said, it pissed him off uh, because he got mad because he felt like Ohio State was over there celebrating that they knocked him out of the game. And he said when he saw that, he kind of got mad, and he was like, okay, it's on now. <laughs> and he went out there and did his thing. Uh, as you saw, and it showed his you know, legs as a weapon. And I think nobody really had seen that. I mean, even we were stunned as people who've covered him all year. We know he could run, and he's got good he, – he's elusive. But I'll be honest, I didn't know he could run away from an entire secondary. <laughs> he goes 67 yards for a touchdown. So that, that was the, the most surprising thing of it all for me. Um, and, yeah, at that, after that point, Clemson dominated that game. You don't hear people really talk about that. You know, everybody's been so caught up in what, you know, that Ohio State missed some opportunities and stuff early in the game, and they did. But, you know, you don't, you don't give up those opportunities to, to, when you're playing against a championship team like Clemson that's won national championships and knows how to win in big games. And Ohio State, they didn't close the deal. And so from that first 27 minutes of the game, I thought Ohio State dominated. The last 33 minutes of the game, there's no doubt Clemson dominated. And um, the Clemson outscored them 29 to seven the last 33 minutes of that game, and it, people overshadowed. It's overshadowed. That that part of the game has been overshadowed because everybody was so fixated on the uh, you know the the plays, the penalty. Uh, excuse me, the uh, the close calls that went Clemson's way. Um, you know, and I can understand that because there were some controversial calls. But when it mattered the most, and one team had to make a play, another team had to make a play. It was Clemson that made the plays at the end, and. And that's ultimately why they won the game, and Trevor Lawrence is the reason why they won the game. Talk right now with Will Vandervoort, writer for the Clemson Insider and co-author of Clemson, Where the Tigers Play. And, you know, we just look at, obviously we need to talk about Travis Etienne, a Jennings native. And what have you noticed from him down the stretch? And more importantly, what's it going to be like for him to play against a home state team that heavily recruited him, but at the end of the day he wound up jumping over to the University of Clemson helping you out in a big way? Yeah, um, what happened was with that whole recruitment was, I mean, LSU knew of Travis Etienne, and they were recruiting him sort of, but they hadn't offered him. And and so, because they had a couple other guys they were eyeing. Clemson was the same way. There was a couple other guys they were eyeing. And um, so, 
both kind of came in, and, and so it kind of, as, as the year unfolded, I think Clemson got in late with them. And at that point, um, LSU had not offered either. And so when Clemson knew this other running back they were recruiting, um, which was Swift, uh, by the way, when Swift decided he was going to Georgia and Clemson knew that, then they they were told by some fr- by other people in the recruiting world, hey, check out this Travis Eakins kid um, down there in, in, in close to Baton Rouge. And so they saw film on him. Tony Ellick came and immediately you know, started courting him. Clemson offered him a scholarship almost immediately, like right after the first meeting. And, um, of course, with ETN, that kind of kind of sunk in and mattered. And then LSU, I think, right after that came with an offer, after they found out they were going to get the running backs they were going after. And, you know, I think ETN just kind of went with, well, Clemson got, went with me first. And uh, and I think he liked what Dabo and, and Tony Elliott sold to him. And, um, you know, so it's a, it's a good story because he's coming back home and he's excited to come and play for LSU, uh, play against LSU, because I think even though he won't say it, but I think Travis felt shunned a little bit. Like he should have been their first choice to begin with and offer a scholarship to begin with because he was a home kid. And uh, So I think he does have a little bit of chip on his shoulder, and he's going to want to go out there and, and prove something in this game. And, and speaking of the high State game, they don't win that game without Travis Etienne either. The high State shut him down in the run game, but he worked this past offseason – to really become a better receiver in the passing game and a better protector in the passing game. And if you go watch that game, A, first of all, he scored two touchdowns from the receiving end, both long touchdown runs, uh, touchdown receptions, I should say. And then he also, you know, uh, caught another pass that went for a long yard. And, um, and then, you know, his pass protection in that game, several times you saw him chipping, you know, chipping – Tipping uh, Chase Young there, and just that one or two seconds he gave Trevor Lawrence allowed Trevor Lawrence to do, you know, get the pass out and get make a play or first down for Clemson. So he really showed some toughness there. He got he's improved in both those areas, and because of that and the dedication he has to change that part of his game to get better is why Clemson's playing for this national championship. And he's able to come home and play for a national championship. Couple more questions here with Will Vandervoort, writer for Clemson Insider and co-author of Clemson Where the Tigers Play. And I need to kind of just talk about Dabo Swinney, the head coach of the Clemson Tigers. And he's talked about in the past feeling a little bit slighted by the college football playoff committee. Is he still feeling that kind of way heading into this big matchup on Monday? Well, first of all, that's a popular misconception. Dabo does not feel slighted by the playoff committee. He, Dabo's comments are not directed toward the college football playoff committee at all. They're directed toward the media um, because he felt like the media all year has put this narrative out there that Clemson – hadn't played anybody, that they weren't as good as they were a year ago, that this team is not as talented as that team was a year ago, and all these different things. Trevor Lawrence is not as good of a football player because he threw some interceptions. So all these things were kind of like thrown out there early in the season, and that narrative kind of that train, because Clemson did play any marquee games late in the year. They played Texas A&M early in the season, and that was the marquee game early in the year. And after that, they really, because the ACC was down and Florida State's down and North Carolina State's down and those guys, and there was really that, that that game wasn't there for them where the rest of the country could actually see what they were doing. And um, and so Dabo was just kind of like, you know, after the South Carolina win, somebody asked him about the schedule, and he kind of just said, enough's enough. You know, <laughs> we're, not, we're not getting any respect here. This team, is a, as he quoted, his quote was, this is a beautiful team. This is one of the best teams I've coached, and you guys have missed it because you've been so focused on we haven't played anybody. And he's like, hey, look, we deserve where we're at. We've proven when we played the best teams, we can beat them. 
And so he kind of went on and on like that. And um, and so people ask that, and they they think he's directed towards the college football playoff, and that's not what he was doing. His his whole rant was up to the media, and in particular some of the people on the Four Letter Network. <laughs> Thanks for kind of clearing that up there, Will. And, you know, one more for you, just a quick, give us a prediction for Monday night's ball game. Which way do you think this one is going? Yeah, I think the key to this game is going to be Clemson's offense against LSU's defense. Because when I think when you look at Clemson's defense versus LSU's defense offense, I think people are forgetting that Clemson is one of the top defenses in the country. They're number two in overall total defense. They're number one in passing defense. They're number one in passing, uh, excuse me, uh, red zone defense and red zone efficiency, touchdown defense and touchdowns allowed. Um, and so they're very good on the defensive side of the ball. So, yes, Joe Burrow and those guys, you know, they're going to get theirs. They're going to score some points and they're going to make some plays. But Clemson's defense is going to do the same as well. And they're going to get a couple stops. My question is, can LSU stop Clemson? Because I think they haven't played to what I've seen a team as balanced as Clemson is. Um, Alabama is probably the best offensive team they faced at this point in the season. Um, and we saw what Alabama did to them in Tuscaloosa. They still put 41 points over 500 yards on them. And Alabama doesn't have a real good running game. This is one of the worst years Alabama's had running the football consistently. Um, Clemson can run the football. They're number 10 in the country in, ru- in rushing offense. They lead the country in rushing yards per game. They also, Trevor Lawrence is one of the top quarterbacks in the country yards per attempt. So they make plays with the wide receivers. They got playmakers on the outside. You know, something that you know LSU hasn't seen when they played Georgia and those kind of teams, um, or Oklahoma lately. Uh, and so it's hard to shut down just Trevor Lawrence and the wide receivers. Because okay, you can do that, but then that's going to let Travis Etienne do his thing. Okay, well you shut down Travis Etienne and maybe the wide receivers like Ohio State did, then you leave it for Tra- Trevor Lawrence to, to do it with his legs. They have an answer for almost anything that you throw at them. And I think that's something LSU's defense is not to the level where Clemson's defense is to where they can get some answers. And I think Clemson's going to be able to score. Um, and I think they're going to score just a little bit more than LSU. And I think in the end it's going to be a tight game, but I think Clemson's going to get a late score for separation at the end and possibly win this game by like 10 points. Will, thank you so much for coming on, my man. We'll talk to you down the road. All right, guys. Thanks for having me, man. Really enjoyed it. All right, I appreciate him coming on the program, and that was Will Vandervoort. You can follow him on Twitter, at Steeler Will. Why don't go a little bit longer than maybe I expected, but I absolutely love having a great conversation with some great people, talking a little Clemson Tigers, and we're going to flip the, the conversation on its head. It's Hoopheads, your time has come. After we take a quick timeout, Greg Peterson, part of v and more importantly, the Hooping with Hoops podcast We're talking college basketball, and we're talking a lot about it next. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Don't worry, we'll get back to football sooner rather than later. The famous CD is a five-tool player of sports talk. He can talk about a lot of different things, even some soccer. Fuel Manchester United Sing the Manchester United song. Okay, maybe not soccer. Back to Under the Dome on 103.7 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station 103.7 The Game and 103.7 The Game.com. Live, as always, from the 237 Roof Studios 
and we've got a great weekend on tap for you. But of course, we got to kind of flip it over to the world of college basketball, at least for a little bit, because I've got my guy, Greg Peterson. He is back on the Arco Equipment Hotline. We haven't had him on in a hot minute. Greg, what's going on, brother? Not too much, Clint. Always a pleasure, my friend. It is just fantastic to be talking to you once again. College basketball in full swing. But before we get started looking at some individual matchups going on later today, I need to just get a look at the non-conference that was an early conference play. A lot of number one teams fell. It was definitely a wild and wacky first half of this 2019-2020 season. Is this a sign of things to come, especially when it comes to March Madness? I do think so. One thing that we noticed with college basketball this year is that you have more transfers than ever before. And that meant that a lot of the power conference teams that are bringing in these transfers, like Louisville, bringing in Lamar Kimmel, you had Kentucky, bringing in Nate Sistina from Bucknell. They didn't have that cohesion at the beginning of the year like you normally see. And I think that just the wealth of talent as a whole is a little bit more balanced. And when you have these power conference teams, they're a little bit younger. And then these teams, like maybe a Wofford, like some of these teams out there in the Sun Belt, despite Ron Hunter being God, you still have a veteran team with Georgia State. These teams are able to sneak up on you. And at the beginning of the year, they have a little bit of a leg up. I do think we're going to see a little bit of a sway towards these power conference teams, but I think it's a very interesting dynamic. And I do think that we are going to be in for a lot of mayhem during March. And I absolutely love the fact that we're getting to that point. But, you know, you brought up Ron Hunter. Now he's at Tulane leaving from Georgia State. What can you say about Ron Hunter in his first year as the head coach at the Green Wave? They've been looking pretty good. They have been. You take a look at what Tulane was last year. Under Mike Dunleavy, this team was a dumpster fire. I mean, just plain and simply, I think they won four games straight up. It was just absolutely terrible. They couldn't do anything. He brings in a bunch of transfers, like uh, Tayshawn Hightower from Georgia. He brings in Christian Thompson. He was playing at Rhode Island. K.J. Lawson, the brother of Diedrich Lawson. And these parts have been meshing very well. We saw the coaching job Ron Hunter was able to do at Georgia State. You're in and you're out. That's a team that you did not want to see in the Sun Belt. I feel like Tulane is that team right now in the American. Are they winning these games outright? No, but they are pushing these teams. Even a team like Mississippi State got a little bit of a challenge from them in the non-conference. Talk right now with Greg Peterson, part of VSIN and also part of the Hoopin' with Hoops podcast. And now I want to kind of look at LSU basketball. They've had a rough start to non-conference play, but lo and behold, this team 2-0 and in conference play and with a pair of really good wins against a Tennessee Volunteers program that has made some runs in the past, and then a very good Arkansas team, first-year Eric Musselman, they only had one loss heading into that game. Has the flip been switched with Will Wade and crew? I think the big thing is just the offensive efficiency of LSU. You take a look at a points-per-possession basis, LSU's in the top ten in the country. LSU does not have Tremont Waters like they had last year. Tremont Waters, guy that was able to do a little bit of everything, Javante Smart, at the beginning of the year, you could tell that he was turnover-prone, which has been big for the team, and he's had some slip-ups, but by and large, he's doing a better job of taking care of the ball, and that lets LSU fire on all cylinders. What I like about LSU is that they're not reliant on the three-point shot, despite the fact that they are so efficient on offense. You've got guys like Emmett Williams, Darius Days. They do a good job of cleaning up the glass, and that's the reason why they knocked off Arkansas a few days ago. Against Arkansas, they won that rebound battle by over 20. Arkansas had no chance whatsoever on the glass. So despite the fact that LSU 
had an off-shooting night. Arkansas was shooting a decent. They were able to win that game. And what I like about this Tigers team is that they are able to win in a variety of different ways. And I think that maybe that loss against USC was a little bit of a wake-up call for them. And I have to agree. I think that game was a definite wake-up call for the program, getting things done. Will Wade and crew starting to look really good in SEC play early on. But now let's take a look at some of the more marquee ball games today. we got to start off, obviously, with a 12 o'clock tip. Fourth-ranked Baylor and third-ranked Kansas is definitely, without a doubt, what's causing all this. Is this the game that everyone should have their eyes on tonight or this afternoon? Oh, oh my goodness, yes. This is just an absolutely prime matchup. What I love about this game is that you've got two teams that they're able to win in a variety of different ways, and I think that that's so critical in March because with Kansas, you always think about them being able to go up tempo being able to put that, like, 15-2 run on you whenever they're at the fog. But this Baylor team, one of the best defenses that you're going to find in college basketball. I was thinking of Kansas as well. They played host to West Virginia last week. They held West Virginia to below 55 points, despite the fact, despite the fact that you have Oscar Shibway along with Derek Colbert Almo. They were able to hold up at the point of attack. They forced everything out to the perimeter which was big, but what you love about Baylor as well, you've got some battle-tested guys. You bring in a guy like Davon Mitchell, transfers over from Alabama, Marcio Teague. He began his play out there in a mid-major conference in the Big South. These pieces have all meshed so well, and Scott Drew, very versatile with the way that he's been able to coach. I think that he's really become one of the best coaches in all of college basketball in the last couple of years. Got to give the edge of Kansas, being that they are at home, but man, two top five teams, this is the game of the best night, in my opinion, no question. I can't wait for that one. It's all right now with Greg Peterson, a part of v which is on SiriusXM. It's definitely a lot of stuff. If you love sports betting and spreads, this is the place you need to be. But I want to flip over to another matchup that definitely has a little bit of intrigue, and that is Louisville-Notre Dame, both teams similar form, winning three of their last five contests. Is this going to be one of those low-key like quality games you check out mid-afternoon? I think that it certainly is. What, what, like we saw in Notre Dame, they were able to knock off Syracuse last weekend. They got oh, past 85 points in that matchup. They were able to push NC State, but didn't quite have enough gas to get that game done. But then you take a look at the Louisville side. This is a team that's been a little bit rocky ever since they ascended in the ranks as well. We saw their loss to Texas Tech. They obviously had a lesson seller showing last weekend against Florida State, but you've got three guys that can give you 10 rebounds on any given night. Steven and Knox, Jordan Duora, and Dwayne Sutton. I love what they're able to do. You bring in a graduate transfer from St. Joe's and Lamar Kimmel. He's able to shore things up. And Ryan McMahon last year, among qualified players, was a top player with regards to free throw shooting percentage in all of college basketball. Always key. And then you take a look at the other side from Notre Dame, a team that does not beat themselves. In the top five of the country, in regards to fewest possessions per game, you're going to see a very crisp, well-coached college basketball game with on one side, Mike Bray, and on the other side, Chris Mack. So I do think that you're going to see a tremendous game. Ultimately, I think Louisville pulls it out, but this is one that I certainly have my eye on. And I'm going to flip it over. we got to go back to the Big 12, and it's another ranked matchup later on today. I believe tip-off at 5 o'clock our time. And that is 17th-ranked Virginia taking on at 22nd-ranked Texas Tech. You talked about the Red Raiders earlier, and both these teams on a little bit of heater, 5 of 6 each losing to a team we talked about earlier in Baylor and Kansas, respectively. How do you see this ball game going? I think that it's going to be a battle of strength. With Texas Tech, the backcourt, guys like Davide Moretti, Demarius Ramsey, guys like this at 240% from three, that is going to be the lifeblood for Chris Beard because 
He always likes that positionless basketball style. He doesn't necessarily have that one true big man. With West Virginia, the days of pressing are gone, but the days of playing good, solid man-to-man defense, they are now here, and they are led by two guys that clean up the paint, Derek Culver, Oscar Sheboy. This is one of just three teams in college basketball, the other two being William and Mary and St. Louis. They have two players that average over nine rebounds per game individually. I like what they're able to do. But with West Virginia, they don't necessarily shoot the three well. It's going to be a battle. Can Texas Tech be able to hit those threes? Because if they do, they have the edge. If West Virginia is able to force them to fire up a couple bricks, they're going to be able to control the glass, and that tilts it in favor of the Mountaineers. I seem to always favor the team that does a little bit of a better job in rebounding, so I like West Virginia, but this is going to be another fun one. You look at the big game we're talking about right now with Greg Peterson of VSIN and the Hooping with Hoops podcast, and I think one game everybody's going to be kind of keeping an eye on here in the area is the LSU-Mississippi State ball game. The Bulldogs got smoked like they were on Snoop Dogg's bus earlier this week by Alabama, 90-69. <laughs> to 69. How much could LSU win by tonight against a team like Mississippi State? I think that they could win this game by double digits legitimately because we saw when Auburn went on the road and faced off against Mississippi State at the home. They were able to get a 12-point win last weekend. What I like about LSU, much like Auburn, they're able to win in a variety of different ways. And I think that LSU and Auburn have some very interesting parallels to each other. LSU and Auburn were both forcing a ton of turnovers last year. LSU doing a little bit of a better job of it this year, but LSU doesn't have quite the three-point shooting that they did last year. But they've got those guys down low, like your Darius Days, like your Emmett Williams. They're able to do a good job on the glass. And with this Mississippi State bunch, they did get Nick Weatherspoon back to the fold after he was suspended for something like 10 games, doing a solid job of shooting. But you just don't have much down low other than Reggie Perry. And I think that that's going to be a big kryptonite for Mississippi State. Ben Howland's doing all that he can. But we've seen this Mississippi State team really falter in true road games. They've actually been good on neutral courts. But I think that the environment... The crowd is going to be rocking, and I think that LSU is going to be able to get something like a 8-10 to 10 point win because I do think that late they're going to be able to hit their free throws, and I think that they're going to be able to control the glass. And I'll give you one more on the college basketball tip, and of course it's on local front. The Raging Cajuns are taking on Georgia hey. Southern. They've been struggling without Kobe Julian, and they'll be wrapping up a three-game week on the road against the Eagles. How do you see this one going? Yeah, this is obviously a tough scheduling spot for the Raging Cajuns. I will put it out there. I think that they're going to score more than they did on Thursday when they were held down to 54 points. That was not a good showing whatsoever. But you do have a guy in Jalen Johnson. Comes over from St. Louis, has been doing a solid job of being able to knock down threes. It's just all about guys in the backcourt being able to step up. Getting a guy like a Trajan Wesley to dole out a couple more assists. Being able to get some of those ancillary pieces that shoot threes. And for the Raging Cajuns, they're going up against a Georgia Southern team that they pride themselves on getting quick two-pointers. This is a Georgia Southern team that, if you force them out to the arc, guys like Ike Smith, Calvin Weishart, they're okay three-point shooters, but they're not volume three-point shooters. If you can just force everything outside, if you're the Raging Cajuns, you have yourself a good shot. This is not necessarily a Raging Cajuns team that has ideal size, but I think that they have adequate size to go up against a Georgia Southern team that, let's face it, they're a little bit undersized themselves. If Jalen Johnson is able to pull in there, I would say 8 to 10 rebounds. If they are able to force Georgia Southern to hit to shoot some threes, I think that that is the best chance for Louisiana Lafayette to be able to win this game. And I think that they're going to be able to do so. And I think that the big fish is going to be just on his guys after that embarrassing loss. And I think that they're going to be coming out fired up. 
I hope so, too, Greg. And one more before we get out of here, and it's going to be more on the college football front, because obviously Monday night is the big national title game. I'm getting all my guests to give me their predictions, and also people, if they want to call in on the game hotline, 337-706-0111 is how to get in on that action. But my question to you is, who do you got, LSU or Clemson? Right now we're seeing LSU a six-point favorite, total 69-and-a-half out here in Vegas. And I do think that it's a fair line. Joe Burrow, in my opinion, has just transcended college football. He's had an absolutely magnificent year. And LSU, obviously not the same LSU defense that we've seen in the past, but this is still a team that is a very pesky bunch with Clemson. You've got yourself a team that's done a little bit of everything. We were all talking about, oh, the competition this, the competition that. They look good against Ohio State. Obviously, some very good breaks, though, as well. And I think that Trevor Lawrence is going to be exposed a little bit in this game. I think that the pass rush of LSU is going to be able to get there. I think he might crumble a little bit under pressure. Meanwhile, with Joe Burrow, time and time again, when he's been called upon, he has been able to deliver. I think that LSU could be able to win a game that I think is going to be a little bit lower scoring. I think that both teams might be a little bit skittish. You might see a couple 3 and outs early. So I think that this will be a game in which both teams reach like the upper 20s, lower 30s. But I think LSU pulls it out by a touchdown. I could see a 35-28 to 28 game here. I like it a lot, Greg. Thank you so much for coming back on the program. We'll be talking to you next week, man. Always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you. All right, that was Greg Peterson. You can check him out on the Twitter machine at GUnit underscore 81. And we're going to take a quick timeout. And when we come back, we'll flip the thing back over to football, this time looking at the pro ranks. And without a doubt, we got to talk about the NFL divisional round. I'll give you my predictions on that. I was 1-3 last week, so hopefully I'm a little bit better this go-round. And we'll talk about that next right here on 103.7 The Game. You're listening to Under the Dome with yours truly, C.D. Under the Dome with CD is a show for all the degenerates out there. You make your rules and we will break them. Let's get back to the famous CD who will break it all down for us. Yeah. On 103.7 The Game. Twenty-four, twenty-one. Texans eliminate the Buffalo Bills. And those wagons get circled. Yes. Pats 35, Titans 10. Ah. The Saints win 35-17. No miracle needed. Dummy. Dummy. Yeah. The Eagles advance to the next round. My score prediction for that one is going to be a 21-14 ball game. Well, folks, when you're right 52% of the time, you're wrong 48% of the time. Why didn't you say that before? (laughs) I absolutely love the fact that last weekend, just so confident, so bold and brash with my predictions last week. I put scores on them, and boy, oh boy, did that pan out right, or did it pan out right? No, it did not. It did not pan out well at all for anybody, especially if you took my advice and you put money on those teams. I am apologizing profusely, thankfully. I did not because, well, it's not legal here in Louisiana. Come on, Louisiana, get together, man. I know there's a lot of bills going on across the country trying to get this thing legalized, and we're just sitting here wondering when, oh, when it's finally going to happen. But on the other side of things, kind of need to get down to it when it comes to my NFL divisional round weekend predictions. I don't know why I put wildcard weekend on my rundown, but 
We're going to talk about what's causing all this and look at the divisional round of the NFL playoffs. And whenever I mention a line, friendly reminder, I think going forward, this is going to be the way I do things when I bring up lines. Because after all, it is a show for degenerates, so I want to bring these up for entertainment purposes only. And that is these lines are all courtesy of Bavada and the over-unders. They will vary, but I think we can usually get a good source from Bet Online in terms of the over-unders. But this is going to be a lot of fun. Starting things off with the Minnesota Vikings and the San Francisco 49ers in the first matchup. By the way, you'll hear all these games right here on 103.7 The Game thanks to Westwood One's coverage of the NFL. And the spread has the San Francisco 49ers seven-point favorites right here right now over in Santa Clara, California. The first of these two wildcard games on a Saturday. And the over-under is 44-and-a-half. Definitely kind of surprised. I thought it would maybe have been a wee bit higher. But when you look at Minnesota, I think especially when you saw them last week, was Dalvin Cook looks like a monster. He looked really, really good in that playoff game last Sunday. Kyle Rudolph can still be a key cog in this team. And then, of course, the D-line. The D-line is going to try and get after Jimmy G a lot like what they did against Drew Brees. Because here's the thing. Mike Tyson once said it. Everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. I think we can all agree that Kirk Cousins, he gets punched in the face enough times, or excuse me, Jimmy G gets punched in the face enough times, things could get a little bit dicey. The con, though, is Kirk Cousins and another storyline that I think kind of popped up during last Sunday's game between the Saints and Vikes was can he keep Stephon Diggs happy? Because I feel like sometimes when you have a guy with that kind of negative energy, it affects your team in more ways than one. When you look at the 49ers, the big pro is, without a doubt, the week of rest. And Jimmy G and Shanahan are just absolutely looking like the smartest guys in the room right now. Things are setting up really nicely. And then former LSU Tiger, Quan Alexander's back. I think that's a huge boost for this defense. That's definitely kind of had a little bit of a struggle bust the last few weeks, but I definitely think this is going to be fun. The only downside is, and I brought up Dalvin Cook for another reason when it comes down to this, because the 49ers' defense overall looks good. Their rush defense is suspect, averaging 112.6 yards per game allowed. Mind you, with Quan Alexander back, I think that might change. But give me San Francisco winning this one 30-21. They'll beat the spread, and I'd probably wind up taking the over on that one. I'm surprising in 44-and-a-half. That being said, the Baltimore Ravens-Tennessee Titans is your nightcap tonight. Ravens, the biggest favorites in this weekend's action. That is 10-point favorites over under a 47. And the biggest pro of them all for Baltimore is Mark Ingram's back. He's healthy. He's ready to go. After that hamstring injury, he's back after a week of rest. It's absolutely huge to see Mark Ingram here because that winds up opening things up a lot more for Lamar Jackson. The biggest con for them is got to be the inexperience in position. I feel like in that position, meaning you know they've never been in this kind of spot with the young pups that they have, with Lamar Jackson, with Hollywood Brown, with all these guys, can they be in that moment? Because they're playing a team in the Tennessee Titans. They are really, really good, and Derrick Henry is going to be hard to stop. The dude's like a bowling ball. The former Alabama running back has looked really good in the postseason, was used quite well in the victory over New England, and that's kind of the big like point where I want to bring here when it comes to my prediction is that they're coming off of an emotional win versus the Pats. That's a game where I feel like they're going to have a come-down moment. And I see the 
Baltimore Ravens winning this one 35-21. And then you got the Houston Texans, Kansas City Chiefs. This is going to be a fun ball game. Don't get me wrong. This is going to be a fun one. And I think when you look at the Texans, Deshaun Watson was an absolute wizard in avoiding tackles in overtime versus Buffalo. But I got to say it, Bill O'Brien's incompetent. With all the talent that he has, he's never been able to kind of crack the glass ceiling. This is going to be a tough game for him. Kansas City, of course, rested up Pat Mahomes after his injury. But their defense suspect, bottom third of the league. Give me the Chiefs taking the win, though, 28-14. to And by the way, that spread is a Kansas City 9.5 point favorites. And then we wrap it up with the Seattle Seahawks, Green Bay Packers. Green Bay 4.5 point favorites right here, right now. And then Russell Wilson looks solid in wild card game. Defense is hungry. To me, with the Seahawks, despite how things went two two weeks ago against the 49ers, I think they have every chance to look really good and make a run tonight or tomorrow night when they take on the Green Bay Packers. The pro for the Packers, obviously, is their cold weather game. They're going to be playing in Lambeau in the freezing cold towards the end of the day with the sun's going to be coming down. That's going to be huge for them. But Aaron Rodgers isn't the same quarterback that was signaling like he had the 10 pounds of gold across his weight during their Super Bowl run. To me, the Seahawks beat the pack 24-21, and that's my bottom line. And we're going to go ahead and take a quick timeout. We'll be back with more. We're talking with Ross Jackson for a half hour about the Saints' season ending and look at what the Saints should be doing in free agency next right here on 103.7 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Keep it locked right here. Should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 237 Roof Studios in Upper Lafayette, this is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live on 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. Take a walk on the wild side and get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world-famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 103.7 The Game. And welcome back. Hour number two of two of Under the Dome with CD right here on 103.7 The Game. As always, live from the 237 Roof Studios. And I'm absolutely loving the fact that this is going to be a rare occasion. I try not to do this often, but, you know, with the end of the season, it seems almost apropos that we dive into it. The Saints season came to a disappointing end last Sunday, just like wild overtime loss to the Minnesota Vikings. So why not spend a half hour with our good friend for the last time, for, for a little while at least, and then we'll probably dive into it a little bit more once we get closer to the draft of who the Saints should get, we'll talk to him about that and a whole lot more down the road. But right now on the game hotline, we got to get to Ross Jackson, All Saints Considered, and the Locked on Saints podcast to wrap up the season that was right now. Then we'll talk a little bit of free agency a little bit later on. Right now, let's talk with the guy, Ross Jackson. What's going on, man? Hey, brother. Doing well, man. Thank you, as always, for having me back. Glad to be able to do this with you. Uh, sorry that it came as early as it did, but still exciting to talk through it. <laughs> exactly. It's, sometimes you just got to sit down on the couch and talk about it. Talk about your feelings for a little bit. You know, and I, well, in, in this case, usually I try and be the Fraser Crane. So I think you'll, in this case, you'll be, you'll be the Fraser Crane that I need 
on a Saturday afternoon. And I'll start things off, I think, talking about, obviously, what I think a lot of people were discussing and probably discussed a lot last season during, after the Kansas City-New England game. Is the overtime rule broken? <laughs> um, I, I don't think that the overtime rule is going to get revisited this offseason at any point. Um, I, I, I don't know that it's broken. I mean, these are the rules that we've operated under for quite some time now. Uh, in terms of, you know, if you at least, I mean, at least it's no longer you go down there, you kick a field goal, and then the game's over. That was a little much. But now at least you have to get into the end zone. And, you know, when you end up in a situation like New Orleans did, where you, you know, you allow your opponent to get down within not only the red zone, but you get down within the five-yard line, uh, it kind of puts you in a, a bit of a pickle, a bit of a situation, because it's very unlikely that, uh, you're going to be able to get a stop there and then get the ball back. And so uh, it's tough. Um, it's not the the best, but I mean, it puts it does help in overtime that your defense, the way that you play on defense, is just as important as the way that you play on offense. And so, uh, I, I don't think that it's broken. I don't think that it's going to be revisited. But you know, it, it does put the the team that loses the coin toss uh, at a at a bit of a disadvantage for sure. I, it probably won't be revisited this off season, but you know, this is me just throwing it out there. I mean, I think we look at the XFL going to be starting up at about a month's time. You can about imagine they might be looking at that a little bit intently just to see how their best-of-five type situation works and see if that could be the answer that the NFL wants to use that going forward instead of having it be what we're talking about right now where if you win the coin toss, you can just march down the field and you win the ball game just like that. Yeah, I mean, I I would suppose so. It would be nice to be able to see both teams at least get an opportunity, much like you see in college. Uh, but the thing about it is just that, you know, I think what they're trying to do, what they've always tried to do, is put an importance on the way that you play defense in overtime uh, and then try to it, it maybe put an opportunity there for you to actually have to play defense there. And I think that no matter what, your intent is to play defense there, but it does just sort of boost the importance of the way that you play and the way that you uh, take advantage of your game plan against the other team's offense. And so I, I think that, it's, like I said, it puts you at a disadvantage, but I, I don't know that it's entirely broken. I don't know that it's going to be revisited. Uh, but I wouldn't mind seeing a reality in which you at least get two possessions or, or you know, each team gets a possession uh, and has to go for a two-point conversion, maybe, for instance. That way, you know, you kind of force the end of the game there if you can. Uh, but, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it was an unfortunate thing for the Saints, of course, um, and I think that it's one of those things that we're, we're talking about because of the way that it worked out. But I, I think that the importance on defense in overtime is what the NFL is really trying to get after. Talking right now with Ross Jackson, All Saints Considered, in the Locked On Saints podcast. And, you know, we're talking about that. I think we need to take a step back and look what happened with 21 seconds left in that ball game. Why don't you put the coaching cap on for a moment? Because this is something I've talked about with a lot of different people is I, I understand Sean Payton's kind of mindset behind that. He talked about it earlier this week. But would you have taken the timeout with 21 seconds left rather than try and hurry up and spike it? Because you had every, because you set yourself up pretty nicely to try and get a win instead of trying to tie, because last I heard from Herm Edwards, you play to win the game. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't, I don't, I, I look at that as an opportunity to make sure that that is a win for you as opposed to, uh, as opposed to just settling in, in for overtime. And I think that that's something that was, I think maybe the safe bet in terms of just trying to get the game tied up and taking the points. But I mean, look, at that point, you're leaving it up to, as we've been discussing, 
you're leaving it up to going into overtime and winning a coin toss, which is something you don't have any control over, as opposed to going down in that timeout and then at least trying to get another, you know, if you can get lucky enough to get a couple of, uh, you know, 21 seconds is more than enough time to even complete it over the middle and end up spiking the ball at that point. Uh, it's enough time for you to get to a point to where you can get a couple of shots in before you settle for the field goal. Uh, I think I would have tried to go for a little more there, which maybe just makes me a risky play caller. But then again, that's what we've seen from Coach Payton over and over again. And I think we've seen an interesting blend of him, um, particularly in the playoffs these last few years, of him being that risky, creative mind, but then also being conservative at very odd times. When I mean, you look at the play calls on third and one in this game in particular, in the wild card game against Minnesota, where you've got a third and one, and instead of running a guy like Latavius Murray up the middle who can fall down forward and accidentally pick you up two yards, you try to sweep uh, Alvin Kamara to the outside into the perimeter, and then you end up losing yards instead. And so, uh, you know, we've, we've seen that over the last three years in the playoffs in particular, that sort of blend of both uh, Sean Payton's that are very risky, that are very creative, but then are also really conservative at times that end up hurting the team. All right, Ross. I mean, I, I need to get your thoughts on this real quick, and that is without a doubt, where did last Sunday's loss rank amongst the agonizing postseason losses the Saints have had, especially in the last decade? Um, I mean – it's near the top for me. Uh, it, it's not as it's not up as high as say the the Nolan no call. Of course, um, I think that it ranks under the the Minneapolis miracle. Maybe uh, the thing about this game and the thing that I take away from this game is that there was no you know divine intervention. There was no um, you know fluke play. There was no blown call. There was nothing outside of the Saints' hand that lost them this game. The thing that lost them this game was their gameplay, their execution, their game plan, and the Minnesota Vikings game plan, which did work well, particularly over on the defensive side. That, I think, is the thing that sets this loss apart for me, particularly over the, the, the two other most recent playoff bounces. And then maybe you look back at 2011, which was, which was particularly heartbreaking as well. So I would probably rank this one pretty far down outside of the fact that it's the most recent, right? The fact that it's the most recent makes it hurt the most at the moment. But I would actually rank this one pretty far down on my list personally because I think that this loss really is a constructive opportunity to actually look at something and say, here's what we didn't do well, here's what we need to improve, this is what we need to do better next year. Uh, and you actually have the opportunity to look at this loss and sort of reevaluate and improve based on what you weren't able to do um, going into 2020, going, coming back into the next season. Because I do think that the Saints still have a window of opportunity here, and maybe I'm jumping to a different to to a future question of yours. But I do think that the Saints have a future, have an, uh, a, a more window of opportunity here, depending on what happens in certain position, uh, certain position situations. Uh, but with that, I think that the Saints should be able to look at this and actually build something constructive out of it, and say, you know, okay, this is what we didn't do well. Here's where we didn't execute, and here's how we fix it. Ross, did I accidentally send you my, my notes? Because that was actually my next question about, about him. Is the, <laughs> is, the, is the window of opportunity closed for the Saints? Because I think that's what a lot of people are talking about at this point in time. So I might as well get your perspective. Is the Saints window closed? Yeah, I think, that the, the, I think people that believe that the window is closed are the people that look at uh, the, the Saints team as potentially um, having wasted the time that Drew Brees had left, right? Which is is a mentality that I don't disagree with if if that idea is correct, right? So to me, in order for the window to be closed, 
that would essentially mean that Drew Brees isn't back next year. To me, if Drew Brees is back next year, which I do anticipate that he will be, that leaves the window open. It's not wide open like it was over the last couple of years, but it's but it's open. And I think that part of what makes that possible for the Saints is that the NFC South is still going to be weak next year. Um, the Atlanta Falcons have stuck with the same regime that put them in many holes this season. The uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are still rolling with Mr. 3030 James Winston at their quarterback for next year, it looks like. And the Carolina Panthers have brought in a new head coach in Matt Rule, who I like. But it's going to take a little while before he can get the weapons around, uh, around essentially Christian McCaffrey and whoever is the quarterback there in order to really get to a point where they're rolling and they're producing at a high level. And so I don't mind. I like the Matt Rule hire for Carolina. I like Matt Rule as a coach. But I do think that it's going to take a little while for them to really get all the pieces that they need for that team to look the way that they want. That's why they ended up signing him to, you know, I think a seven-year contract. That in their their battle with other teams to get him signed. But I think that that is a sort of long-form uh, opportunity, and that is a building opportunity for them as opposed to a flip-the-switch type of opportunity. So I think the NFC South is very much attainable for the first time ever. The Saints could win the NFC South for the for the fourth time in a row. That's never happened before since the NFC South came into fruition. I think the Saints' biggest challenge might be in Atlanta next year if Atlanta can get it, get, and get everything together. But I don't know how well that's going to happen under Dan Quinn. And I think that you know, with that being the case, and if the Saints retain Drew Brees at their, as their quarterback, then it does leave their leave their window of opportunity open. And they're going to have to draft like it, and they're going to have to sign like it come free agency. But I don't think that the window is entirely closed just yet. But the big thing is, can they finally find a way to perform consistently once they get into the postseason? That's what I think is going to be you know, a big issue. Now, if you're a person that believes that the window is closed, then it's probably because you're expecting some type of an identity shift within the team, You know, a team that looks to maybe balance themselves a little bit more in terms of the run-pass split, right? Teddy Bridgewater at quarterback over five games was a 55 to 45% run-pass split. Drew Brees in the game was 62 to 38 percent. So very much their identity with Drew Brees is to be a pass-heavy offense. We saw that in this wild card round. If they shift up their identity, maybe that closes the window a little bit because that takes time to input into your offense. Um, and then, of course, if you switch up the quarterback, whether it be to Teddy Bridgewater, Taysom Hill, or someone unknown, then that, of course, is an identity shift that might close the window for a moment until the team sort of rebuilds around their new leader. All right, Ross, let's put a pin in the kind of season that was conversation, and when we come back, we'll dive into a lot more about the free agency talk because there's a lot of free agents. I'll get through some of the more notable ones with you in the next segment, all right? Let's get it. All right, we got to go ahead and take a quick timeout, come back. Ross Jackson going to continue the conversation. I think you're going to love it. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game. The numbers don't lie, because when you listen to Under the Dome with CD, your knowledge of sports increases by 141 and two-thirds percent. Now, let's get back to the genetic freak of sports talk. Fat! On Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game. Now it feels like a Ross Jackson segment coming back with that Choppa style force right now. Talk with Ross Jackson, All Saints Considered, Locked on Saints podcast. And now we're going to flip it on over to some of the big free agents that the Saints are going to have to deal with this offseason. 
And once again, he's on the game hotline. Ross, you know, let's start things off with with this conversation about unrestricted free agents. With something I thought about this the other day, it's the fact that this is very similar to what the Minnesota Vikings had to deal with post Minnesota miracle, having three really solid quarterbacks on the roster. Mind you, Minnesota probably wound up making a weird decision and just getting rid of all three, and then back into the brakes truck for Kirk Cousins of all people. But when you look when you look at the Saints free agency market, you have the Teddy Bridgewater and Drew Brees. Obviously, both are unrestricted free agents. Taysom Hill is going to be restricted. But I think at the end of the day, Taysom Hill could very well be walking out of that door because you know a lot of people want to have that kind of guy in their system and try and fit him in a way that we've seen with the Saints have done the last couple of years. But when it comes to all three quarterbacks, like what's the likelihood in your mind of keeping all three? Um, <laughs> I, I think it's I think it's pretty unlikely that the Saints keep all three. Um I love that you brought up Taysom Hill actually being one of the guys to be signed away because that's something that I'm sort of I'm looking at as well that I'm watching for because the Saints have him as an opportunity here with uh, restricted free agency to where they'll get right of first refusal on him. So that would mean that they can play, place just a simple right of first refusal tender on him, which doesn't cost a ton of money. It should be around $2 million or so or in the $2 million range. Um, and then, you know, if another team offers and they have the opportunity to, to match, they can do a second-round tender, which would be somewhere around $3.2 million, where if they don't match it, then they get a second-round pick in return from the team that ends up signing away. First-round tender, same idea, a little bit more expensive, 4.4, but with a first-round pick in return. I do think that the Saints would be wise to sign him to a second-round tender at $3.2 million. It's cheaper uh, in case other teams don't try to sign him away. And then if another team does try to sign him away, the Saints then have the option to either match that offer or receive a second-round pick in exchange for Taysom Hill. And as much as you know, Taysom Hill is a fan favorite, as much as Taysom Hill is somebody that has been you know, a bit of a spark plug for the team, I'm sorry, he's not going to be your future at quarterback uh, because we've seen him throw, what, 13 NFL passes so far in his career um, in the regular season. And uh, I think that he, I think you take a second-round pick for a guy like Taysom Hill. I, I think you do. And so I think that it would be really interesting to see Taysom Hill be the one that walks away because if Taysom Hill gets signed away elsewhere, then that means that the Saints get something nice in return, whether it be a first or second-round pick, depending upon what tender they put down on him. I think if they put a first-round tender on him, no team is going to put in any type of match for him because they're not going to be willing to give up a first-round pick for him unless they've got you know, several. But then that would be a team like maybe the Miami Dolphins who – under Brian Flores, they're not going to make a move like that. Uh, but I do think a second-round tender would be pretty interesting to see the Saints get, get that back. But I, I do think that it's unlikely that we see all three come back. I think the most likely situation is going to be Drew Brees and Taysom Hill. Teddy Bridgewater is going to get a nice offer somewhere. He's got his market value should be around you know 17 to $22 million per year as a starting quarterback. The Saints really can't afford that without continuing to kick many, many cans down the road. Uh, for, you know, if they try to bring him back as well as Drew Brees back and Taysom Hill. Taysom Hill shouldn't be a huge um, salary uh, eat-up at all. But I think that with with the situation all three are in, uh, Drew Brees missing those five games, essentially six games this season, really sort of gives him the opportunity to come back next year and still be fresh, uh, fresh to, to begin the season. Uh, and I think that he still wants to play. I mean, he said on WWL Radio that he does still want to play for sure, and he feels like he's got another year or two in him. And so, uh, you know, he and Sean Payton are going to Pelicans games together. I'm sure they're talking about what it is that they're planning on doing next season. Uh, but I think the most likely situation is uh, Drew Brees and uh, Taysom Hill back in with Teddy Bridgewater. 
taking a nice contract somewhere in a starting opportunity. Uh, and it has to be a special opportunity for him, something like Miami to where it's at home and they're able to bring him in and get three first-round picks to continue to build around him. And now they have a uh, Devontae Parker that's playing really well and has a new contract extension. So it has to be a special situation that pulls him away. If there is no special situation in his mind or, or, or another situation out there as special as the one that New Orleans has created for him and team, community, and people, then maybe he takes another backup contract. But he's going to have too many opportunities outside of New Orleans, even in Chicago and a couple of other places uh, that might be looking. And so uh, that seems to be the most likely situation for me for me i'm gonna get my thoughts on it a little bit later on in the program about where the saints should go with this but you know i've got enough time might as well just go a little rapid fire style here and go with a bunch of players should they stay or should they go and let's cue up the music I right, let's start things off. I think obviously we need to go with Ted Ginn Jr. Thirty receptions, four hundred twenty-one yards, two touchdowns. The man was becoming stone hands in a big way this year. Where do you does he say or does he go? I think he goes. His drop off over the last three seasons has been just insane, uh, and he's been the reason many times that the Saints don't pursue or haven't pursued. Uh, a number two quarterback, I'm sorry, number two wide receiver because they feel comfortable with what they have with them. They need to move on from them, go with somebody younger, somebody that's going to only get better as opposed to decline. I think Ted Ginn Jr. is done. Andrus P, 54% of offensive snaps, suffered injury towards the end of the season. Stay or go? Uh, Andrus P, in my mind, goes he would not be bad depth to have behind Nick Easton or some other young guard that they bring into the draft, but I think that he goes after the season, saves a little bit of money. Stick with the offensive line. Patrick Omame, 14 games, only one start. Stay or go? Patrick Omame goes. Cam, Cameron Tom's coming going to come back off of injured reserve. He's a restricted free agent. Good opportunity for the Saints to stick with somebody they trust. David Onyemata, 15 games, 32 tackles, three sacks. Stay or go? This one's really tough. I think this one's a stay, though, because of the injuries that the Saints are dealing with on the defensive line, particularly Sheldon Rankins, who's had his season come to an end twice now and started late on his rookie season. I think you give him an opportunity to be you know, the guy that you can trust and that will be healthy on your defensive line. He's your anchor. You know him. He's good. He sticks around. A.J. Klein, 15 games, 67 tackles, two and a half sacks. Which way do you think this is going? Stay or go for the key linebacker? This is another really big one. I'm going to say... Day. I think the Saints really like what he does. He got better throughout the season. Maybe they bring him in on a short-term contract and then draft a guy like Troy Dye or even Charles Snowden out of Virginia. Six, seven coverage linebackers don't come into the draft every year, but I think that he'd be a good bridge guy and a good mentor guy. I think he'd keep him on a short-term contract. All right, Mo, a couple more here. Eli Apple, stay or go? This one's really tough. <laughs> um, <laughs> Surprisingly. Yeah, this one's really, really tough. Um, I will say Eli Apple stays. And I think that it's because the Saints will also try to bring back to Norris Jenkins. Eli Apple becomes quality depth, uh, but no longer your starting number two cornerback to Norris Jenkins wins that out of camp. P.J. Williams, stay or go? P.J. Williams goes. I think that what you saw from him in terms of his uh, free safety role when Marcus Williams was hurt ends up just skyrocketing his market a little bit, playing slot, being able to play at safety the way that he did, which he played very well, I think is going to give him opportunities elsewhere. All right, real quick, Von Bell, stay or go? Von Bell has to stay. Uh, Von Bell has to stay. He's one of the ones that I really feel like uh, the Saints really, really have to uh, really have to sort of prioritize and keep in the building. He's He's uh, improved every year. They're going to have some major competition for him, but I, I think he is a priority signing for the Saints. 
And that was not planned at all, ladies and gentlemen. That actually worked out perfectly. Managed to get to the, <laughs> get to the end of the song. Managed to get it perfectly in. But before I let you go, obviously this Monday, the LSU Clemson game. Who you got in this one? Oh man, I'm I'm all LSU on this one. Uh, I I appreciate very much uh, Clemson and what they've done. Trevor Lawrence gotten much better throughout the season. Starting off struggling with like what five interceptions in the first few games. But uh, I don't think Clemson has seen anybody like LSU. And uh, if LSU gets a couple of key stops, then they end up pulling ahead by multiple scores. And I think that they can close this one out. I really, really like LSU in this matchup, and I cannot wait for this game. I'm glad that it's on a Monday night because I actually get to watch it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. One more before I let you go because this just popped yeah, up please. from Pro Football Talk. Some CBA news has kind of dropped. Deal likely, not definitively, will include 17 games for or against that. Uh, will likely include 17 games. Yeah. Oh, that's a new one. Um, I'm for 17. I can do. I can deal with 17. 18 was a, was a little pushy for me, just because you know uh, obvious reasons, injury risk, and things like that. But I think an extra game is kind of nice. It doesn't change the fact that every game matters. Um, I can deal with 17. I can roll with that. Ross, thanks so much for coming on for the last 20 minutes or so. We'll talk to you down the road, man. That sounds great, man. Looking forward to being back. Thank you very much, and I'll uh, talk to everybody soon. Thank you all. All right, that was Ross Jackson, All Saints Considered, Locked on Saints podcast. Going to go ahead and take a quick timeout, come back. We're going to talk about the LSU game. I'm going to give you my prediction. I've got a special guest lined up outside the 237 Roof Studios. Back after this on 103.7 The Game. Most sports radio shows go up to 10 on the amp, but Under the Dome with CD goes one higher. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? These guys are 11. Now, back to the show that brings the heat on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Coming to you live from the 237 Roof Studios. Getting ready to wrap up here the last half hour, the home stretch. And, brother, we're going to have some fun here. Why not? And that is talking LSU Clemson. And we got a deep dive into this one because it is the one game that's causing all this. And if you want to get your predictions in, the game hotline officially open for the next half hour, Daddy. 337 706 That's how you get in and talk to the man and give me your predictions because we've got a lot of things to talk about when it comes to this ball game. I mentioned a lot of it at the top of the show, but in case you weren't listening in, in case maybe you were dealing with a lot of the stuff that happened earlier today, my goodness, thankfully that rain kind of went away and was able to, to subside. But right now, the the spread's getting a little bit slimmer, according to some of the consensus, is five-and-a-half-point spread right now, heading into Monday night's matchup between LSU and Clemson. Bavada has them six-and-a-half, but the consensus, according to some, is five-and-a-half for this big, big ball game, the national title on the line Monday night. You'll hear that right here on 103.7 The Game. There will all be, well, except for me, of course, will be out in New Orleans getting you ready for the big game between LSU and Clemson. 
And by the way, we'll have it right here on 1037 The Game pregame at 5, kickoff at 7 o'clock. But I think without a doubt, we needed to kind of just talk about what's causing all this. And just look at some of the keys again. I'm going to bring these up real quick, and then I'll give you my prediction. Big keys for LSU, defense needs to stifle Travis Etienne. That's the big thing. Travis Etienne has looked good all season long, not just in the ground game, but also in the passing game. I think you need to keep him down. That handcuffs Clemson's offense. It's not a dig at Trevor Lawrence. It's more about a fact that a one-dimensional offense is a hell of a lot easier to stop than a two-dimensional offense. Don't believe me. Go watch some LSU stuff from not too long ago, and you'll see what I mean by that. The other big key, Clyde Edwards-Alaire needs to eat. Feed the dude. He's cutting according to Ogeron earlier this week. You mentioned that. Let him cut and strut like his name is Brutus the Barber Beefcake. Clyde Edwards-Alaire is the big X factor in this matchup. The word on the street is he's ready to go and healthy, and more importantly, he's cutting. That holds true. This run game is on is going to be in for what hell of a treat, and they're going to keep Clemson honest on defense. They're going to be focusing in primarily on Joey Burrow, or Joey Heisman, as I'm calling him. Joey football, Joey Heisman, however you want to put it. The final big key for LSU for me is Michael Divinity. He's back, linebacker, stifled by injuries, left program before the Alabama game. We all know the story. But I expect him to have a big game here because you got to realize he needs to improve his draft stock. I think this is that game where he does just that. He looks really good in this in this big ball game. Give me LSU control of the ball game with him on the defensive side of the football. Clemson, Isaiah Simmons is going to be that guy keying in on Joe Burrow from the safety position. I like what we've seen with Grant Delpin in the past. He's going to be a guy that's going to get it done. He's got seven sacks in his junior season. It's not often he gets hit when you're talking about Burrow. But trust me, he gets he gets hit hard enough. The dude can go into another level. I've, almost every time I've seen him get hit, he has gotten back up and pretty much whipped up some tail, and I absolutely would love to see that happen. T. Higgins, Derek Stingley Jr., probably a matchup that's going to be interesting to see how that goes. T. Higgins, 1,000-yard receiver, leading the Clemson Tigers in receiving yards. He'll likely be against the best cornerback on LSU's roster, probably the entire country, depending on who you talk to. Derek Stingley Jr., absolutely phenomenal player. First team, freshman All-American. The guy is just an absolute stud. Coming out of Dunham, he's been just phenomenal from the second he set foot on campus. So best versus best, I take the edge to Derek Stingley Jr., even though he's a freshman and not used to the bright lights in the big city when it comes right down to it. But that's where I'm leaning. Another big key is going to be Trevor Lawrence. Is he still angry? Is he still miffed about what happened against the Ohio State Buckeyes. Is he still going to see that kind of red or whatever he saw in that ball game and utilize that the right way and use it not as tackling fuel but as passing fuel because I feel like he can wind up going off in this ball game. And if they anger sunshine, it could be a long, long night for the Bayou Bengals. That's the big keys for me. But without a doubt, I need to give my prediction. And my prediction for this one is LSU gets the victory. A lot of people are saying it's going to be a double. Some people are saying it's a double-digit victory for Clemson. Some are saying it's a double-digit victory for LSU. I don't think so. Here's my final score prediction. People think it's going to be a high-scoring game. I don't think so. It's going to be 21 to 17. The final score, LSU beats Clemson 21-17. It's going to be one of the most highly contested matchups. The defenses are going to be on another level. And I see 21-17, a late touchdown 
from Joe Burrow. Gets it done, secures the bag, and gets this thing done. And I cannot wait to see what's going down Monday night in the Crescent City inside the Mercedes-Benz Superdome. Everybody's out there with media. A lot of things we're talking about. I'll give my thoughts on some of that in a little bit. But, of course, it's time for one man and one man only to make his way and walk down that aisle and get back inside the 237 Roof Studios. But before that, let's take a call on the Arco Equipment or the the game hotline. Excuse me, the game hotline. Who you got on the on the game hotline? Uh, win the game. Hey, what's up, man? What's up? I like that. 35-17 LSU gets the victory. A little little technical difficulties right there. We'll try and figure that out. But, hey, if you want to call us up, the game hotline open, 337-706-0111. But right now, again, we got got a special guest. He's making his way down that aisle. And it is without a doubt a pleasure to bring back Coach Foe. Just in time, welcome back. Coach Fo to Under the Dome with CD, and what a season it's been. It's become a ritual for many fans to have you on the program for big games. As we get closer to it, I'm going to have a great discussion with the man, the SEC champion of the world. We're talking about Coach Fo. Oh, T-Boy, I am great to be back. I'm live and on fire, just like we are out in New Orleans. Woo! Well, Coach Foe, these are your people. So can you share with us some of your thoughts headed into the big matchup, LSU-Clemson? Well, just making an observation. And Happy New Year, everybody. It's nice to know that without LSU, the college football can stand at its own two feet. Clemson right now, you're the champion. God bless you. But maybe that championship's red hot, and you got everybody looking at it, including a gentleman who has rubbed me the wrong way for several months. And I want to ask the college football world how a guy like Nick Saban, I mean, I respect his bloodline, the family, his heritage, but how does a guy like Nick Saban still call himself the best when Coach O is on the ticker, when LSU is on the ticker? I take exception to that, Clint. You take issue with it? I take issue with it. I am absolutely taking issue with it, and I cannot wait to see what happens with LSU. It's hard to stay humble when when you're me. And yeah, LSU. LSU looking really good right about now. And I cannot wait to see what happens. So, Coach, you're going to wind up heading out to New Orleans soon? Oh, T-Boy, we're getting ready to be out there. And we're going to hold that tiger. And, brother, we're going to have a lot of fun. And hopefully, Monday night, down on Bourbon Street, we celebrate. With, what, what's that called? What's that, what's that Jericho can't call it? Oh, he calls it a little bit of the bubbly, baby. You going to be having a little bit of the bubbly? Oh, yeah, we're going we're gonna to have a lot of that bubbly if LSU gets the victory on Monday night against the Clemson Tigers, and we're going to show them who the real Death Valley is. So, all right, Coach, I need to ask you this question. Are you going to be part of the final hype video? Because the second one came out a little bit earlier today. Are you going to be part of that final hype video leading up to game day? Oh, you know, it will stop, Cody. He hasn't talked to me about it, so I I don't think I'm going to be a part of it right now. We're going to move on from it. But I'm looking forward to seeing that final hype video. I haven't seen the second one yet. We'll probably check it out when we take a break. Trust me, it's absolutely fantastic. The do create some great stuff. So I honestly cannot wait to see the final hype video. Get me amped up, ready to go, and see what's really going down, what's causing all this Monday night. You might give us a score prediction. Oh, LSU going to win this one. 72 to nothing. Coach, you always do this. You always do this. Why are you doing this? 
Yeah, man, I got to think the Tigers are going to win it in dominant fashion. And I think the band's going to play neck when it's all said and done. They're going to dominate them Clemson Tigers, and they're going to make them look like a jamoke. All right, I get it, Coach. But, man, you know, we got to say, like, right here, right now, LSU is just looking as best as they possibly can. And I think everybody is over the moon excited for what's to be going down for LSU. Oh, yeah, we're going to be great, man. I'm, you know, I'm going to try to get out of here as soon as I can, make it down to New Orleans, because I think people are going to realize that when Coach Folk comes to town, it's going to be a lot of fun. And, you know, I think, I think you know, we, we play Ric Flair's music. I, you know, I think it's time to kind of reference a little bit of Ric Flair before we take a quick timeout. Because, man, I'm feeling good, and I think it's just going to be a great time. And, brother, you know, I got to say it. I think you, you got the sound by ready? Oh, yeah, T-Boy. Oh, yeah, I got it ready. All right, let's do this. Now, I can't help it that I'm custom made. I can't help it that I look good, smell good, woo, can't dance all night long. And I got one more thing to say. You know, when it comes down to it, you know, you look at Ellis, you and you look at Clemson, there's a big difference, especially when it comes to Coach O. Mind you, Coach Ford may make a good bit of money too. But Coach O and LSU are going to be having a lot of fun. Everybody with LSU is going to be partying it up after the national title game. I think without a doubt, this is going to be what Coach O is going to be saying in the locker room with his co- with a lot of coaches celebrating the national title. When last year I spent more money on spilled liquor and bars from one side of this world to the other than you made. You're talking to the Rolex wearing, diamond ring wearing, wearing. kiss stealing, woo, wheeling, dealing, limousine riding, jet flying, son of a gun, and I'm having a hard time holding these alligators down. Woo. Woo. Coach, oh man, you've been, you've been digging the Ric Flair leader. I'm feeling that, what is that, Ric Flair drip? I like that. Boy, I've been feeling pretty good lately, and I'd be spilling a little bit like when I head over to New Orleans to go see the LSU Tigers and get it done. I can't wait. Hey, Coach, thanks so much for joining the program all season long. Maybe after my next Saturday they win. Maybe after Monday night they win. You come on over. We'll have a, we'll have a good time talking about the victory and how it was out in New Orleans. Really kind of starting off Mardi Gras season the right way. Oh, yeah, T-Boy. Go Tigers. All right, taking a quick timeout. I'll be back with one last take, and then we'll wrap up the show in a nice little bow. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game. Every time CD takes the mic, is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Now, let's get back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD, wrapping things up in a nice little bow, getting you ready for a wonderful weekend of NFL football. And then Monday night, we've got the big one. Clemson, LSU, I gave you my score prediction. I think LSU wins 21-17, a low-scoring affair. Mind you, take my predictions with a grain of salt because obviously I don't know what I'm talking about. But I want to bring this back. I brought this up at the start of the show, and it's absolutely fantastic. Tremaine H.M. brought this up about Dabo Swinney, noted Rocky fan, comparing himself to Rocky while LSU is Drago. Uh, 
Coach Sweeney loves to compare us uh, to Rocky movies. I guess he's just the biggest Rocky fan. Uh, he's just, he says going to Louisiana is like going to Russia, and we're playing Drago. And then he'll and then he'll say something about Drago's like Burro, uh, right? And we gotta be Rocky. We gotta train in Russia. We gotta fight in Russia. And I'm like, all right, well, just go with it. Just roll with it, right? Like, yeah. And I love how like he was joking and laughing about it. And I just couldn't help but to think about Rocky Four whenever like whenever Rocky Rocky's just training and going up the hill with the snow. And I just, I just immediately thought about this. I feel like this is Davos Swinney whenever he's getting his morning run in. Or maybe it's more like this. You know, the exam's in three hours. Oh, crap. All we've done is work out. We should study. Right. <laughs> it's absolutely fantastic, the fact that uh, apparently you've got uh, <laughs> Dabo Swinney being a noted Rocky fan. It's absolutely fantastic, and it's made me think about the mix that I'm going to put together for Monday. I've got something for that. i got something for that backside on a Monday during the Jordy Holberg show, which is going to be airing from 11 to 2 instead of 2 to 4, and then Ben Love will be from 2 to 5. We're bumping Jim Rome because it's a big game. Why not do it? i got one more thing to throw out at you in terms of sound before I get to my final take, and it's involving Joe Brady and some job rumor and any windows concerning him, and more importantly, those NFL job rumors, and he actually addressed it a little bit earlier. I give credit to Scott Rabley for dropping the video. For me to be to think about anything besides winning a national championship right now is, uh, you know, I can't, the thought hasn't even crossed my mind. And so uh, I'm just excited for Monday. And, you know, I know after the season, you know, uh, so, so, Joe, there's a specific report that the Panthers <laughs> might reach out to you. That, as far as you know, is just something coming from their end. You haven't been asked? Or... No, I haven't, I haven't been contacted by anybody from that standpoint. It's, it's, it's kind of crazy because I was asked the same questions going in, like, the day of the media right before the SEC championship. So it's like so not just so happens that it all comes out right before media days. But, um, no, and from my standpoint, uh, you know, whether talks are happening with other people, for me, I have no idea. And... Just before we close up shop here on 1037 The Game, the famous CD is looking to fire off one more take before dropping the mic. Is it going to be a hot one? Or is it going to be the one that he'd like to take back six months down the road? Let's listen in and find out. I've been sitting around since the Sunday loss to the Minnesota Vikings, reading Twitter, reading Facebook, reading all the social media geniuses out there saying... That it's time for Drew Brees to go off into the good night. And I agree with at least some of that statement. Now, now what that statement says after, you know, time to move on from Drew Brees, time to figure out what we got in certain in other guys. I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of bring it down a little bit for you. And I feel like everybody's talking about one man and one man in particular, and it's Burrow replacing Brees. They want Burrow. Guess what? You have to give up your whole damn draft for this year to do that. Are you out of your mind? You got to be kidding me. The people who are saying that, even I saw a good friend of mine, friend of the program, saying this on Facebook. And here's my response. And this is my take. The New Orleans Saints shouldn't be getting rid of Breeze to go all in on Burrow. What they should be doing, and I think they need to do, and I disagree a little bit with my buddy 
Ross Jackson, All Saints Considered, Locked on Saints podcast. He talked about Drew Brees. That's like you got to stick around. At the end of the day, I think Drew Brees, you got to move on from him right here, right now, because of one reason and one reason only. That's the man, Teddy Bridgewater. Teddy Two Gloves, a man who kept you in playoff relevance, kept you in that relevant spot. When it comes down to it, at the end of the day, it is his job. He needs to keep that bad boy as long as humanly possible. He's the guy that's going to have to control this franchise for the foreseeable future. You found your guy to help move on from the Drew Brees era. I think this is the right decision. Give Teddy Bridgewater, go all in on him being the foreseeable future for the New Orleans Saints versus Drew Brees, and you lose out on a guy like Teddy Bridgewater to free agency. Pay that man his monies. And the bottom line is you keep him, I think there's a lot of success for this team down the line. Because if you don't have him, I think this team could struggle for a long time to come once Drew Brees says that he's hanging up those cleats and he's going to spend some time with his kids. And I'll tell you why right here, right now. Because you don't have anybody readily available. This is the, if this if you didn't have Teddy Bridgewater, I'd say draft a QB as soon as possible. Trade up, get a guy like Justin Herbert, get a guy like Tua Tunga Viola. Hell, if you have to give up your draft to get Joe Burrow, so be it. But trust me, you'll regret that. But I think if you have an opportunity to get a guy like a Tua Tunga Viola and have him waiting in the wings and make sure he's 100 percent healthy, ready to go after Drew Brees decides to hang it up. That'd be the great, greatest opportunity in the world, but that seems like it's way tougher than you think. At the end of the day, go all in on Teddy Bridgewater. Give the man that gave you everything, that gave you the world this season. Give him an opportunity to be the face of your franchise. Give it to me. Give it to him. And I feel like the New Orleans natives will love it because guess what? The man is all about that bike life. Give him something that he can roll into that's a lot fancier than a bike that's my bottom line that's my last take we got to get out of here without a doubt one of my favorite shows of the year and we're only two weeks into this new year but i'm absolutely loving talking about those saints and we're done but again teddy bridgewater time for the saints to go all in on him not go all in on burrow like some people are saying some hot take artists are dropping we're dropping facts teddy bridgewater over burrow I'm out of here. Thanks to everybody for coming aboard the program. Greg Peterson, Will Vandervoort, uh, Will, that guy who called in. We had a little bad connection. And then more importantly, Ross Jackson for a half hour talking Saints. We're out of here. Have a great rest of your Saturday. Hey, Clavis, wake up. The show's over. Oh, yeah. Kick it.